Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Uttang dhammang sangang namasami I'm enjoying myself in this retreat and uh, (laughs) meditating. (laughs) Working on some uh, karma and obstructions and uh, feeling benefit and partly, I was just noticing the sense of, uh, uh, you know, the set, settledness, the settledness and uh, happiness that I can find sitting here with you. And it's partly because of just being being in your presence. Um, mm. I appreciate very much the depth of... Uh, Trust, depth of listening, is uh, palpable. Is an effect in terms of uh, making one feel relaxed and uh, um, welcome. And those have powerful effects. I guess uh, I just noticed that there's, you know, I've been teaching at IMS for a number of years. I've forgotten how many, but. That's a good sign, isn't it? <laughs> Probably means it's quite quite a few times over a period of decade or so or more. And teaching retreats for quite a long period of time also. And just I noticed the kind of the pattern that generally manifests is like a year or year or two before year or so before it happens, a retreat, okay, I'll do that, you know. It's abstract. And then about a week or so before it comes, oh my God, what have I gone and done? (laughs) (laughs) And then a day before I get, I realize I've actually got absolutely nothing to say. (laughs) 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 Nothing to say. And it's, oh dear. And then uh, the the thing, oh my goodness, there's, you know, 85 people or so who've heard it all before. And I've got nothing to say anyway. And it's this kind of moment of truth. <laughs> when you kind of get there and you go, uh, and nothing happens. Yeah. So it's a sense of, uh, you know, I kind of contemplate this because every time I teach a retreat, something happens. It always seems to happen. You know, I always end up saying something. And, uh, you know, sort of going through a process and coming out the end of it and feeling, oh, that was good, I must do some more of that. I'll do that again. <laughs> so I sign up for the next one and then until <laughs> a week before it happens, I think, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> and occasionally I get this thing, I should retire from this, this business, you know. It's, I've got nothing to say, you know. So, so I go through those kind of movements and I wonder, what's, you know, what's going on? <laughs> 
And it's, um, so there's the, you know, I would say there's the kind of apparent topics of, you know, retreat and so forth. And, but then when I actually recognize what, or begin to contemplate what's happening, it's actually, I realize that none of that is actually, you know, none of what my mind sticks on is actually there. It's all imagined. It's all the imagined of what it could be and what I should be and what people want and what would happen if and what, you know. None of it actually is there. <laughs> so where is it? <laughs> and so one can come up against the kind of karmic pattern or a bit of patterning of mistrust or anxiety or whatever you like, whatever you like to, words you like to put on it. But I can sense it as a kind of apprehension about contact about making contact it's all right in abstract as an idea but uh, reality hurts (laughs) 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 or reality is when you're you're open to to the immediate impressions you know abstract you can think about it and plan it but it's actually happening it's happening and you get affected so there's a sort of sense of well, 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 you know, about about contact, mm. and so you know, so actually taking time to to feel the sense of that, um, you know, mistrust or anxiety, and then what actually happens, and you know, kind of just feeling through this kind of glaze, this filter that uh, comes over things. And uh, I think probably the, for all of us, maybe the most significant, powerful, potent contact impression is other people. You know, things that nothing gets to you like another person. You know, other, or and the, in, sometimes individual is one thing, but then number, big group, is another thing, isn't it? It triggers off the, you know, the overwhelm experience that we can experience in groups. Um, so this is, uh, or, uh, you know, impressions or perceptions that um, are karmic. They have been established. They get established. So, on some perceptual level, what's called the level of sanya or perception, which is not uh, thought but felt, as uh, a sense of. Um, Un- dis-ease or mistrust or anxiety or could go wrong you know, contact impression so you get a contact impression like that uh, yeah. there are two kinds of contact impressions to be simpler. there's the, what's called resistance impression which is just the basic you touch something, you see something so it, you get that immediate bonk thing going and um, so we walk around, we touch something, we see something, we hear something, we taste something. And you get a uh, perce- um, called resistance impression, means because you were doing something, it hits, it hits, touches, you know, so you get that. It gives rise to feelings and impressions. Is that pleasurable, unpleasant, and so on? Second kind of contact is called 
um, designation contact, which is what your mind or your heart makes of that. What your mind or heart makes of that. You know, so that was unwelcome. You know, that was uh, um, arrogant. That was, um, you know, so you get much more into the kind of emotive toning and shading on experience. That was unfriendly. That was um, sarcastic. That was uh, belittling, you know. So we, we have heart designations on, on experiences. Mm. That was loving. That was friendly. These, of course, these are the most significant kind of contact is this, heart contact or designation contact, designation impressions. This is where the whole karma, we parka, cause and effect residues and, and motivations and um, things that affect our motivation and our willingness and our sense of possibility. Mm. Things that, um, you know, that's all bound up with that. Mm. Says that the Buddha says contact is the source of karma. Contact is the source of karma. It means that the way that you're affected, how you how that how you register that, determines the kind of motivations that come out. Whether your motivation is say uh, reactive, defensive, um, judgmental, blessed, compassionate, dispassionate, whatever. That that's the is the way it really comes from the how that thing has impressed you, what impression that's made. And that's not a, a voluntary process. You know, it's it's the these heart impressions get established. You know, they get they get built in. So one one is experiencing everything through a kind of a glaze or a window or a lens of these designation impressions. First, we don't necessarily recognize that because we see right through that window or that glaze and we think, well, that is. It's not, I, I feel that it is, but it actually is. <laughs> you, know, you get life, life statements around this. You know, life is painful. Uh, things are this way or that way. And... Uh, so it very much affects how you're motivated, and that naturally affects many things. Mm. Any kind of action is then affected by that. And of course, in meditation, we can f- we find this because meditation is a kind of action, the focusing of the mind. The, you know, in a way, you're distilling out some of these heart impressions because there's nothing much there to contact really. In terms of resistance impression or literal impressions, just a breath or a footstep or a physical sensation, and there's that. You know, it's fairly simple, and, and um, mostly the idea is that you're working with things that are relatively neutral. You know, breathing, walking, standing, um, hanging around. You know. <laughs> And as we all know, <laughs> around that there can be immense stories of, um, of you know, feeling 
uneasy with that, feeling tight with that, feeling pressurized with that. Because of karma, because of past actions, because of what's called vipaka, there's an inheritance in the heart of um, nervousness or uh, panic, you know, whereby we, we, we do something from a kind of rather panicky, urgent, got-to place that affects the meditation. Or we do it from a, um, a kind of got to understand it all, got to get it all figured out, you know, which is a place you know, dependent on the kind of karma. Or we work from a, of a place which is, probably, which is something like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this anyway, really. But you've got to try, haven't you? You know, no, you're not going to break. You know, you get this, this kind. Of, these, these are some of the things. Or um, we just keep overshooting because we've got a lot of uh, karma that's associated with desire, reaching out, getting, gaining, having, getting on, making. You know, some. So we're looking for something. So instead of looking at or feeling what's happening, we're we're actually feeling through the textures of our own, of the karma we park of, the we park of, the residues uh, that we that inherited. It's good to acknowledge some of this, because you don't, um, even though it's involuntary, you don't decide to do it, you've got to remember that. It's not that you're, you, you, that you're deciding to do it, but Vipaka, the nature of Vipaka is it acts as a, as a seed. So the nature of the inheritance or the residues or the, the colorings have potency in them. They spring up by themselves, they trigger. So you don't do it. Do you ever recognize why, you know, when you make a big thing about coming to a retreat, meditating, sitting still, doing this, relaxing, being quiet, being peaceful, and that 85% of the time, something in you is doing exactly the opposite. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's not, it's out of control, isn't it? It's just these latent tendencies and seeds just kind of bursting out. Some of them, as I say, are purely, you might say, topical or just, you know, circumstantial. You come in tired, we come in stressed, we come in busy, we come in with some physical pain, we come up with some grief or something from an immediate incident. And some of it's more long-term residues. Uh, and a practice, you recognize if you don't, if they still have potency in them, then they're always going to keep um, trigger, you know, making meditation a frustrating experience. A can't-do-it experience. Mm-hmm. Because one isn't, you know, you're not actually, when you don't find or rest in the way things are, it's always going to have that either slightly estranged or can't quite get it or struggling or reaching or trying to hold it or trying to make it. That's, that's the feeling for when you're, when you're not entirely connected. And this Vipaka is standing in the way. It's the glaze that means you don't really get the touch because you're, you're feeling through a boxing glove you know, of, your, of the Vipaka. You kind of can't quite get how it feels because you're feeling the effort. You're feeling the trying. 
you're feeling the got to make it work, you're feeling the all this um, this um, residues. So the clearing of them is to acknowledge, because even though they are, we might say, involuntary, they may still have potency. As some you you know commented, it's it's you know you can have lived as best you can, skillful, doing kinds of good things, and so how come I'm still you know judging myself? Because even though one has done good things and done skillful things, we haven't actually necessarily addressed that particular piece, that particular piece of of vipaka. It's difficult to address these things. The seeds, because they are potent, and when you when you move into one, it, it it's disturbing. It flares up, and the process that I'm recommending is to find ways in which we can regain our ground in the presence of these. So you kind of actually you don't just avoid them, but you feel them and feel find your way out of them. So that that's what discharges their potency. They no longer then have the the power to, to work. What triggers well, the triggering of these tendencies is is bound up with uh, who one feels oneself to be. Mm. That's also a residue. What you sense yourself as being, or what you mean, what you think you are. What you, particularly when you quiet, quiet down a little, what you actually sense yourself as being most, most of, is is also residue. It's not by all means. It's not all bad. Hopefully, <laughs> you know there can be quite a lot of goodness there, and there's some uncertainties or some um, tightness or some pushiness or some complaining or whatever it is. You know, all that we take ourselves to be is actually a, a residue. Mm. It's an inheritance. It's so uh, a lot of meditation is a kind of two way thing. We're both uh, if you like, contemplate an object but also very much attuned to the, the subject subjectivity of that. How I do it, um and how it feels to me, the subjective quality of that is is, is important. So, 
it's important not to just kind of consider, you know, meditation just doing this particular thing. But more or less anything becomes a meditation when you're prepared to, to, to witness your, your, yourself in it. You know, what does it do to me? And in, um, certainly in the, on the overall cultivation uh, of mind, um, so a good part of practice is just what gets done to me. You know, what, 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 what do I sense is happening to me? That's a big part of it. What, this is a kind of involuntary part. And the involuntary part contains some of these involuntary residues. Karma is voluntary. That is action. There is some sense of, yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do this. No, I won't do that. I mean, I won't, you know. So good or bad, there's a feeling of one makes a choice. It's, 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 it comes from um, chetana, volition. There's a, mm, go that way, either way. Vipaka is involuntary. It's, it just, it's, it happens. And it's got the power to, to rise up, generate fresh karma. That's why the old karma is not finished until the vipaka is, is fully known. It's either, it can either disappear altogether or be neutralized whereby or you just know it's that. And there isn't a following of that. So meditation itself, or mind cultivation, just contemplating what, what do things do to me? What does it do to me to, to be here, you know, with 85 people or 90 people or whatever it is? What does it do to me to come to this place? Hopefully a lot of that is positive. You know, oh, this is a kind of quiet place, a place of respect, a place of integrity. And then you dwell in those positive meanings. And it helps to, to contrast against the, any afflictive meanings like um, that come up in our lives. What do you know, groups, routines, institutions signify to us? You know, probably something like imprisonment. Men in uniforms, women in uniforms, yeah, in institution routines, bells. Um, some something in my, one's mind recognises this is a meditation retreat. Something prop might feel um, stuck, got to do, trapped. You know, <laughs> it may not speak that way, but you can feel that kind of uh, feeling because there's a lot of imprisonment. One of our uh, kind of fundamental afflictions is the imprisoned sense that comes from when one has uh, you know not not felt clear about what one's doing not made a conscious choice in in doing what one does and quite a lot of um, life then actually just you just get into it and then it boom you know you don't have time or opportunity to really clearly see what's going on and big big uh, crowds of people doing things according to routine generally triggers off some sense of, of imprisonment. Mm-hmm. And so when we get that kind of trigger, then we may be going to prison mentality. You know, like, you know, clamp down, be bored, uh, be small, uh, you know, 
be obedient, shut up. <laughs> no. Uh, so, and then we can feel this kind of dryness of heart because uh, in prison you don't you don't actually reveal what you're feeling. You know that uh, the feeling level is is closed. Um, the sense of even the watchfulness of the mind becomes like the chief guard. You know, the head screw, as it were. <laughs> and so we can kind of unconsciously be living out this without really recognizing because here is nice you know IMS I came here I wanted to come here you know I booked for it in advance everybody was very pleasant I said where is that you know so you get certain suggestions trigger off and you come into a, another piece of territory So one can find that the whole sense of routine and, and meditation itself is an imprisoned feeling. Because perhaps there's a, the, you know, you're checking, you're deciding you're going to sit still rather than move, you're going to be silent rather than speak, you're going to be here for half an hour rather than get up, read a magazine. So that can trigger, you know, you, even though you decide to do that, can still trigger off this involuntary sense of stuck here, you know, and a tightening, tightening of the of the will, and a sense of some shame about anything that's kind of ebullient or moving. Um, somebody was saying they found it uh, a relief to realise it was okay to be joyful, and on a meditation retreat. I don't think anybody would ever have said it's not okay to be joyful as a, as a conscious statement, yet that message can somehow come across because of the, the quietness and the, and the non-contact. It is a very, very odd uh, predicament to be in for a human being to be with 90 people and not say anything to them. <laughs> this is very, very odd behavior. <laughs> there must be something wrong is the kind of gut, you know, you, th- you understand it all, but on one level, it's kind of weird, you know. You sit there and have your meal, and there's ten people around you, and we're looking in their plates. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you pass somebody in a corridor, and they, they retract. And <laughs> there's something wrong, something wrong, you know. So that, that you know, see how you triggers into, into something that, that has a kind of familiarity to it, and yet it's an eerie familiarity. It's a familiarity that's not really about the situation, but about a particular, you know, reading on, uh, on behavior and on life and on people. Mm. Contact is, is, a, is a cautious and tentative thing, isn't it? You know, particularly between people, you, you just, what's going to happen? You know, is it going to be all right? Is this going to be intrusive, obstructive? Are they going to get the wrong message? They're going to be annoyed, angry, uh, do something to me that I don't want. You know, what's going to happen here? So there's quite a lot of 
delicacy around that. And perhaps this is proper, you know, some sense of, you know, just kind of march into somebody else's jitter. (laughs) 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 But then if there's that slight, we think, oh, nervous, what's wrong, something wrong. So, you know. So these are the, the things that can come up in, in, in retreat situations. And all of it is worth, worthy of acknowledgement. Because mm. all of it, in a way, is, 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 reminding, is a mirror reminding us of some of the residues that are present. And the main thing is that if once it's known, you're no lo- even if it's there, and it's, it's, you know, it's okay to have some sense of caution about how one approaches other people, but you know, oh, it's that, it's that sense. So it doesn't, it doesn't trigger off something that's, that's actually um, afflicted, like fear, mistrust, um, guilt, shame, you know, these, kind, these contraction, be quiet, shut up, don't be here, disappear, you know, be small, you're not wanted, those kind of things that, that can come up in, in um, between people, because probably sometime or another that's been the case. <laughs> One has been told that rather firmly. <laughs> so it's still a potential, isn't it? And then what's it? <laughs> then if we kind of leave that there unaddressed, say, okay, I'm doing this consciously. It's a conscious, not an unconscious decision to be quiet. It's a conscious, voluntary agreement to, you know, to, be, to, be, to enter stillness. It's a common, conscious, friendly, benevolent, contract to um, minimize verbal stuff, you know, and then, so that our silence then becomes a sense of I'm offering you silence you know, I'm offering you some space rather than, you know, get away you're a nuisance <laughs> so it, the same, same experience can have quite different designation impressions and it's crucial that when you get the, the clear um, so, you, so it's coming into conscious uh, contact. However, you know, moderated that contact is, is consciously done, and we, you know, so because you, you, in this way you're helping to be more conscious of how contact, what contact carries for you, contact with people, contact with. Routines, contact with systems, contact with silence, you know, what these silence can seem uh, tense or it could be blissful. Silence could mean shut up, be quiet, or it could mean, oh, isn't it, isn't it peaceful here? It, you know, these, are, these are important things to get a, a sense of. As long as it's conscious, you get the feeling that the, the, the experience is one of clarity, and uh, some confidence. And this has an overall effect. You feel clear, you feel confident, and you, you trust. Your sense of fear, incomprehension is not there. One feels a sense of, of trust. And these are very important qualities to be present in the, the mind sphere, in the heart, as we meditate. Basically, because the ongoing process of of meditation on 
breathing in, breathing out, the object is really um, rather a phantom. What is the object of when one's following, when one's contemplating breathing in and breathing out? It's sensations, rhythms, energies, um, that, isn't it? And the closer or the more fully one dwells in that, the more fully you bring your mind to bear upon that, then you begin to recognize that all of that is really impressions. They're impressions. Your mind does not experience a sensation. The mind does not hear anything, does not see anything, does not touch anything, does not taste anything. The mind does not, you know, all the mind ever receives are, its, are the impressions. It's kind of the impressions that are triggered by sensations and so forth. So there's a whole range of that. Nothing, nothing that you're being emotively affected by is a sensation. Sensations do, are not of that nature. Sensations occur in the body. What affects you is perceptions and feelings. And the perceptions are mental perceptions and the feelings are mental feelings. Perceptions could be, so these are like, we might say, you know, resonances or impressions, suggestions, uh, felt meanings of, of, of an experience. So breathing feels like this, feels like this, feels like this. This is what is coming to us. It feels like soft, it feels like sharp, it feels like bright. And the, the more fully one gives one's uh, attention and awareness to, to the breathing process, the more you're actually coming into through the field of impressions. More, more clearly the field of impressions, the breathing becomes soft and you sense the softness or the brightness. And this is important to cultivate this because it, you know, the, the object changes, depend, it shifts and changes. Sometimes it feels like uh, clear or small. Sometimes it feels bright, expansive. Sometimes you even get lights, images of this nature, kind of senses of light and radiance. And you think, where's the, where's the breathing going? You know, where, what happened? So, so if you actually that is it, <laughs> but now it's now it's wearing new clothes. Uh, as when the when one's mind becomes calm, then we witness or we experience these things through calm, you know, through the impression of calm, through that particular feeling and impression. So, what we experience is very much affected by that. The body can seem like light or boundarylessness, bound, has no boundaries, the bodies can seem to dissolve, 
Um, You know, so you can be in this seemingly um, disembodied state because the the one's normal experience of body has changed. Your normal experience of body is a set of impressions, and it's obviously you don't feel what you see. You get a set of impressions, and uh, then the particular sense of familiarity with that. That's my body. So when that shifts and changes, you know, what's happening? What's going on? You know? So we can find ourselves losing the contact because we, we're not able to just trust and be with the contact that's being established and feel into it. We might find a sense of uh, anxiety or uncertainty there, or even uh, um, doubt or uh, panic, or, or a sense of groundlessness. So it's important just to be able to read and the impressions as they arise, as they're experienced. This is, requires a lot of trust and uh, confidence, strength, clarity. Mm. These help to clear the uh, glaze of impressions, the glaze of past karma one experiences. So there's a, there's a long-term result of that. The more that you can find yourself opening to, trusting, yielding to the impressions that come, some of the guardedness, some of the uh, uncertainties of our, of our residual karma begin to disappear. You sense, well, I'll just be with it, whatever. You know, I don't have to figure it, I don't have to understand, I don't have to, it doesn't have to be what I think it should be. It doesn't have to be something that I've known and you know, got, got a, a file on. Um, it doesn't have to be somebody else's impression. You know, so-and-so has this, but that's what she has or he has, but it doesn't have to be somebody else's. It can be what it actually is right now. Uh, and the mark of that coming, coming into, into that is, is uh, joy. Because it's like, it's, it's yours. It's, and, you, and you feel the absence of uncertainty, the absence of restlessness, the absence of these hindrances. The mind is, is clear and joyful. Mm. So there's a, that's the mental contribution, if you like. There can be a bodily vitality. The mental contribution is the freedom from doubt, restlessness, dullness, um, tension, and uh, craving. Now these are these may be subtler forms of the classic gang of five, five hindrances. It should normally, you know, sense desire, ill will, um, dullness, sleepiness, or lethargy, sometimes called that, kind of um, restlessness, agitation, and doubt. So these kind of these you know, occur on a coarse level. When they occur with some you know, more coarsely, when we probably recognise them, you know, getting angry, ill will, hatred. Um, but they they they're also sort of embedded more more deeply as uh, wanting something to happen. 
wanting something to happen. That's, that's craving. Wanting the happy bit, wanting the pleasant bit, wanting something to happen. Remember, nothing is ever going to happen. <laughs> there is nothing that is ever, there's only what's happening. Nothing is ever going to happen. When that experience is there, what's happening is, <laughs> is you know, expectation, pushy, you know, or dread, you know, which is the, the, the counter-impression, ill will, dread, uh, aversion. So this can also mask in meditation as, as I like to release this experience. I like to be liberated from this experience. It just basically means get out of my life, <laughs> which is understandable, you know, with pain and so forth. Um, but at least if you're clear about it, then and you begin to recognize that one's quest for liberation is actually just ill will with a nice um, cosmetics on. Um, get me out of here. I don't want this. Who wants pain? Of course. If it's painful, you can be pretty much certain there's going to be any, some degree of ill will in there. Unless you're, you know, you've got certain personality disorders. <laughs> you like to go back to the chains and whips in the... But mostly, if it's painful, probably if you don't want it. You know, so that's fair enough. If you're clear about that, then you begin to contemplate. This is the sensation. And this is the this is the not wanting it. Now, maybe there's not a lot I can do with a sensation, but I could do something about not wanting it. You know, that's that's the so the heart impression is changeable when it acknowledges it. So what can I do about not wanting it? Well, I could talk to it, I could croon at it, I could stroke it, I could wish it loving kindness, as long as I don't do it in order to get rid of the thing. And so sometimes um, it, you know, what, what I find helps with the uncomfortable is just visualizing it. Because it takes it away from the way I've designated it, say as pain in my back or pain in my leg, or and just say, oh, is that kind of interesting fiery jangle, you know, see this kind of lines of light, you know, red lines running around, so I just kind of get the fire impression of that, so I maybe take a, a bodied, embodied impression and then begin to work on that, then it's when it's just, you know, fire running around, then some of the instinctive reactions are curtailed just because I'm not naming it as uh, horrible pain in my back. Also, just to be uh, aware that very, very few people are actually patient. Patience is not a normal experience. <laughs> Patience is the last thing in the world you'll ever want to do. <laughs> Real patience. It's something you can work towards, aspire towards. So if, if we think we're being patient, mostly what's happening is we're being resigned. <laughs> oh, well, bear, bear with it, I suppose. 
And that, that, uh, and it's a kind of a, a way that w- limits the damage. You know, we're not going to fight and rail and scream and howl, um, and you know, get all stirred up. So limit the damage. Just hang on. <laughs> Only another twenty minutes, hour, day, five days, week, year, lifetime. You know. Then it will be over. <laughs> so that's not patience. <laughs> that's resignation, and resignation has its effect on just flattening you. It, it, it means there can't be the possibility for vitality or aliveness or true responsiveness. You just decide the best thing to do is to just shut down the, the feeling. I can't honestly, you know, blame anybody for that. It's not a matter of blaming. It's a matter of saying, well, actually, it's to say, you know, just to be clear what's happening. And then how would it be possible for me to meet this experience? Just meet it on an open ground. That's a better way of looking at it. Maybe even just to say, I hate you very much. <laughs> Please, so at least you kind of get some clarity about the nature of the contact. <laughs> and hate it violently. Uh, and feel how unfair it is that you should have to experience this and hate it violently. And then when you've got that done, you can, well, I've said my say. Uh, you know, there's a sense something can settle. Because uh, the, the trap of of, um, of unconscious of unconsciousness, so, so we're not clear about what the contact impression really is. So we're coming up with this kind of secondary, supposed to kind of response. I'm supposed to be patient. I'm supposed to be this way. That, yeah. So to, you know, feeling the ill will, by being fully conscious of it, there's some way in which we can, okay, there's that, and there's the sensation, and, uh, you know, we can find ourselves being able to distinguish between the two. And then maybe the real, really the, the most difficult bit here is the ill will. So you begin to sense that this is the one that's got the most churning in it, and this sensation just kind of pulsing heat. This it doesn't do as much damage as the ill will. So it's just really a matter of of finding out which is the least suffering or stress, and then naturally once you know that you you tune to which is the best possible option. And a lot of the time that can be just in that a kind of I've you've chosen yourself. There's that sense of openness, and just that alone, you know, means you, you've, there's a freeing up. So there's this dullness which is um, caused through the body, 
and the bodily energies. So even uh, enlightened beings, arahants, experience this. Even the Buddha would occasionally say, Sariputta, you exhort the assembly, I'm going to take a rest. So there's a sense of just the, 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 the heaviness or the dullness that comes from the body energies. And we can be experiencing this on a retreat. Not, not necessarily connected with, with vigorous labor so much as um, the, sometimes the, the, the stagnation of bodily energies in our lives. It kind of, we sit around a lot. We, we, uh, um, body energies get tangled up by, by a variety of input. So it's, you come in, you, you know, you feel really dull and sleepy. So you can think that's a hindrance. Well, it is. Certainly, it's a, it's a hindrance. It's, it's, it's hindering the practice, and uh, yet it's not, um, you know, just something to work on. It's not a subtle practice. In other words, you're not kind of trying to work on anything too subtly. Just say, just sitting, standing pulling the body open, doing something in a bodily sense that helps to bring vitality in. The, the, word, the real, uh, more embedded quality of dullness is, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not bored, don't want to don't be with this, kind of, or a stupefied will. The will, from the, the will becomes uh, kind of stagnant. There's no interest. So it's inquiry is a uh, sense of inquiry is the is the real antidote for that dullness. But dullness is also a, a residue of a kind of long-term disempowerment. <laughs> you know, I can't do anything. It's not going to work anyway. It's, um, you know, the, so the keenness and the and the authenticity disappears, and you don't get the the, the real eagerness of working with your own um, experience. Sometimes yeah, the, the quality of calm makes the mind feel uh, dull. One, one gets soporific. So it's a matter of kind of building up this uh, quality of Vitakavichara so you keep What's happening? What's really happening? What's really happening? One of the time, um, what we really know, what we really know, um, is uh, is hidden from us. A lot of the time, we actually work. Our life is about what we believe, what we assume, what we're told, what we think, what we've read, what we're supposed to. No, it's abstract. And to, to, so we, come, we might come to retreat, okay, first of all, things where everything's impermanent, everything's not self, everything's unsatisfactory. We believe that. And then um, meditation is the way to Nibbana, you believe that. Um, <laughs> got to concentrate the mind, believe that. And it's about washing every... Of inhalation and exhalation, being mindful of the time, so you believe that. These aren't necessarily untrue, but you, you haven't actually come to them from a place of, of knowing. You come to the place of, 
of uh, belief. Uh, and then, you know, so you think, okay, do it, get there. You may assume that you, the breathing is, is just something that happens on the end of your nose. Um, which is a bit of a nuisance if you have a cold and your nose is bunged up. Then it, that's it, end of liberation. <laughs> So it's because you do know you're breathing in and out. Are you sure you know you're breathing in and out? You know, not because it must be breathing out, that's what they do, but do you, do you really know it? How, how do you know it? And when you, when you do know it, when you really know it, how does it feel to be really knowing it? Yeah. And actually, with anything you do repeatedly, the chances are that you might know it for a while, you might, oh, that, and then, okay, I know that. You move into, yeah, it's happening, yeah, it's happening. And you, you don't really know it anymore because after a while you've kind of seen the pattern. Yeah, it goes in, it goes out, it goes in and out. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> and so one kind of moves away from the edge of it into, well, I wonder when I get into samadhi. I wonder what I should do. Should I do this or should I do that? Or maybe I should stop trying. Maybe I should just be with the way it is. You start sloganizing. Because um, the thing's already, you know, you've sorted breathing out already. Now you're going to do meditation instead. And do Buddhism instead. So you kind of <laughs> <laughs> move into the, the place where it's all figured. You've read the books. It's all, you know it all. So that's more comfortable and uh, all laid out much more than this other thing, which is just breathing in and out. So that kind of moving away from the real freshness of it, real edge of it, where it's slightly rough and some a bit longer than others, some are softer, some of them you miss altogether, uh, just into the real textures of experience. There's quite a yielding, actually, for the mind. It's like, you know, it's a lot of giving up there uh, of, of the store of knowledge, of the store of, of competence. You have to be stupid to meditate, in a way, you know, like an idiot. You don't know a thing unless, it, unless it's happening. One of the habits of... of uh, that we go into uh, is very customary habit of of uh, the mind is to you know you have an experience you go out and have experience and you take it back and you unwrap it and look at it and play with it <laughs> like a squirrel you know go out, get something you take it back oh no that was like was that as good was it bad was it like this you know I wonder how I did with that am I getting anywhere with that you know Brush, no, put that little nut down and go out and get another one. You know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and at the end of the day, you know, if you look at the, 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 the little cluster of nuts that you've got and chew them, what am I doing this? Am I, am I this yet? Am I one of those yet? Have I got this yet? Have I done that yet? <laughs> so there's a, a lot of, uh, 
you know, a real, real giving, giving up that's required. So this, it's almost like changing the whole pattern of of the mind. So our contact becomes much more immediate and, in a way, innocent. This helps work with the hindrances of of all the hindrances actually, but restlessness, which is a kind of worry flurry uh, movement of of uh, you don't really just stay and deepen and allow things to happen at their own pace. You know, there's a there's a do it for a bit, and then there's a kind of oh, I wonder what that's like doubt worry, and so there's a kind of restless scurry that can come come up, like the squirrel. Then it rushes out, has another couple of breaths, and scurries back in again. So these kind of uh, energies, qualities, are pretty endemic in, in our experience. Um, because in a way this is very much kind of what's conditioned in through life experiences, through the way we live. You know, we don't actually live in a world of immediate contact. We live in a world of plans and projections and information and news and opinions and comments and uh, what we should and what we ought to. Uh, so it's, it's, it's quite a lot to, to, to come out of that. And there's, but there's a tremendous sense of authenticity and joy that come up with just even a few moments of being prepared and feeling confident just that what you're experiencing is just this. Mm. There's a kind of an awakening to the, to the, the reality of, an ex- of experiencing things. Sometimes that people even drop uh, objects of meditation just to, in order to um, see more clearly you know, what happens when there's nothing to meditate on. You know, so you just feel the qualities of shifting or restlessness or wanting or, you know, and then just keep letting go of that. Uh, which has its, certainly has its validity. You begin to, when there's nothing to meditate on, Apart from the very, you know, vipaka, the, the, the impressions, the residues, the good and the bad that come up, all you're meditating on is the latent tendencies of self. So you keep almost like witnessing yourself, the trying, the moving forward, the fluttering, the focusing in, the space, you know, the spacing out, the drifting off, and just keep, you know, letting that go. Um, and that there's validity in that you can kind of move into doing something like that I also find though that um, there's particular places or situations of form so there's formless meditation which has, as I say has its validity but in a way in formless meditation you're witnessing yourself in neutral territory there's not. I mean, there's, actually, there's nothing apart from 
the, late, the tendencies themselves. So that's okay. But witnessing with a form, in terms of a form, it's actually you're, you're coming into particular places where you get triggered. And that's so the world of form is where the karma tendencies are embedded. I don't think most of us have much karma with formlessness. I've never been beaten up by formlessness or worried by formlessness or, or you know, <laughs> never done a thing to me. So, so really it's a, it's a kind of relief. But then one can come out of formlessness, a formless state into form, and you come back to the same kind of karmic patterns that are embedded in one's relationship with people, with doing something with your own body, with your emotions, with, you know, and so that those, and of course, you know, so we can come and have quite valid experiences of, yeah, there's freedom, liberation in this formless sphere, you know, there's no, none of this, no clinging. Come back to, you know, come off retreat and then you find in the day having an argument, freaking out about this, that, the other, getting uptight, because we haven't actually liberated ourselves in terms of the territory where we have the residues. See what I mean? So this is why you always got to balance uh, you know, meditation as a, as a secluded experience with meditation as a you know, contact experience when you're making contact with your some of the items in your daily life. Breathing actually takes you through both of those. That's that's the my sense of my 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 faith in it is that you know even when I'm standing I'm still breathing even when I'm walking around talking to people I'm still breathing. You know, it's not just something I only do when I come on retreat. <laughs> <laughs> So within that, I can have an. I can witness how that how that feels in because uh, it's a very good register of what's happening in my body or my heart. So I'm, you know, you're doing something. You find yourself tight breathing or no breathing or um, shallow breathing. What's happening? You've got some way of of, of acknowledging the um, residues that have arisen around having to do something, having to uh, move towards a goal of some kind. So we can all say there's no goals, there's no goals, no goals. You tell that to your boss. <laughs> so, you know, what, what do we do when we come back to the experience of uh, you've got to do this? Have you a way of, of coming through the, the fear, the oh no, the overwhelm, experience into, okay, do this, breathing in, breathing out, moment at a time, you know, do what I can, rather than be intimidated by it. And it's, so, mindfulness of breathing is something that you can use, and you use the understanding that comes from that into how you work in your daily life. If you, obviously, if the less um, reactive and more liberated you're operating in daily life then that means the less accumulation is going to, you're going to have to work through when you 
doing it when you come back to your cushion. And with all of it, the quality of um, understanding triggering, understanding the uh, the sanya or the perceptions, the impressions that are embedded and triggered. The, so the feeling of uh, um, you know pressure or inadequacy or whatever comes up around this particular object or situation. You begin to see, once you acknowledge the specific quality of that, that's why it's important to reveal them, however awkward that is. The advantage is, you, you see, it is triggered dependent upon this. So in other words, it's not a universal picture. It's not an ultimate state that I am all the time. The more clearly we can acknowledge the afflictions and where they are and how they are, then the more we're also liberated in a larger sense from the notion that this is what I am. And when they're unaddressed, then that's the impression that's left. If we don't acknowledge this specific dependent arising, they become a generic statement of of uh, what I am, even though it's kind of hushed in the background, it still acts in a in a way to hamper our movements and hamper how we how we witness ourselves, how we come to ourselves, which is one of the shocks that we you know we come into in meditation. You know, we start to actually witness ourselves and realize there's a lot of grudge here or or not very gracious. Um, qualities, not not a graciousness of heart, not a tolerance, not an ease, not a benevolence of heart. Where did that come from? Hmm. So, when there's been violence, when there's been pain, when there's been blame, when there's been shock, when there's been these unfortunate experiences that occur in our lives, if you know them, you come to knowing them specifically, and they don't become a, an overall statement. In other words, you know, the sense is it's left where it is. If it's not, um, if it's not, you don't recognize it and see it for what it is, where it is, when it arises, it becomes diffused over the whole of your your mindset. That's the power of it, and. Because this is the way that, that we park our ears, it's it sort of stays there as a latent tendency, mm. the possibility to create fresh karma. Contact is the source of karma, says the Buddha, and. Karma is uh, dependent on perceptions, perceptions that arise in contact. And it's the perceptions or impressions are many 
and varied, but the afflictive ones always arise based upon ill will, based upon cruelty, based upon sensuality, sensual craving, desire, sensual fixations. Uh, So all of the afflictive motivations, the unevenness of, of intention, the harshness of intention, the greediness of intention, the hindrances of intention are based upon these felt impressions or cruelty, sensual fixation, uh, and ill will. This doesn't actually necessarily mean that you have been, you know, hateful or cruel or greedy, but you can very well have been kind of marinated in it. (laughs) You see what I mean? So when you absorb a lot of this uh, toxins in the in the context, in your environment, in your media, and so on, then in a way you pick up those those impressions. You consider, for example, the amount of violence uh, that uh, one witnesses in in a day. You know, violent, just in terms of verbal abuse, switch on the television plenty of violence there, and uh, so sensual fixations uh, all over the place, and uh, they they have their effects. You know, I remember just as I was saying this, I haven't seen hardly any television or movies since about 1973, <laughs> if you believe that. <laughs> You know, it was rent in tin and things like that. <laughs> that, was, that was as violent as it had got. <laughs> so I remember, as I said, this kind of film I saw, on the movie I saw on the play, which made this big impression on me, this young woman going around kicking people to pieces. And I was going, wow. Wow. But it's strange because it was all—it was all good, you know. That was the funny thing about it. I mean, nobody said, "Oh, please don't hit me." I've got a wife and kids to support, you know. The bad guys were just totally bad, totally bad, completely one-dimensional bad guys, you know. None of them said, "You know, give me a break. You know, I've got to make a living," you know. <laughs> so, and she just kicked them to pieces. And none of them moaned or asked for forgiveness. They just went, poof, and actually just evaporated. So was, and then she didn't have any blood or sweat or tears or anything, just completely clean, and the other, poof, the guy gone. So it was kind of, I think, wow, what's happening? Because, um, you, you know, there's a sense of this incredible shock of seeing this, these actions, you know, but there was, no, there was an unreality about it. And just, I remember for days afterwards, I'd sort of sit there and suddenly get these pictures in my mind of this woman, you know, kicking people in the head <laughs> and so forth. And I thought, oh. strange, Audrey Hepburn never used to do that. LAUGHTER <laughs> <laughs> 
poor Julie Andrews, you know, they never <laughs> did a flying drop kick at anybody. So it's quite a challenge, you know, to my perception. I came off the plane, I thought, oh, well, what's going to happen? <laughs> 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 the world has changed since, uh, since My Fair Lady and uh, Sound of Music. So you just kind of, fortunately, you know, it was on a screen, but then I had enough Sati Sampajanya to leave it in its place. But even then, it was this sort of sense of... of you know, well, this violence is kind of something that's out there in the open. People do it to each other, and that's any time, you know. Uh, so you, you get a funny, funny feeling of, of, of mis- mistrust, even just something like that. And, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the funny thing about media violence is how, how safe it is. You just book, switch it off, book. Which you on, and then a, you know somebody just gets their head shot off, and then the commercial comes up, and somebody's offering you soap powder, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's it's so dislocating that that violence becomes you both something in you is shocked by it, but something in you is okay with it. So it becomes both uh, shocking and also okay, and this is a very dangerous mixture. You, you know, you wonder. Actually, one doesn't wonder. It becomes pretty obvious why violence becomes so much more apparent as something that is heroic or interesting or sensational thing to do. So we, you know, we absorb uh, ill will and cruelty and sensuality, yeah. sensual fixations. Whereas when I, you know come to uh, IMS or other places, you go to, they put, set things up for you. It was in the bathroom. And there's these little bottles, little, nice little bottles. You think, oh, and this is some soap. And it's got this thing, it's got honey, chamomile, lavender, peppermint, everything. It's, you know, oh, it's shampoo. <laughs> the next one's kind of got, um, you know, tarragon and thyme. And it's one of marmalade and everything. <laughs> it's one <laughs> thing. God damn it, it's more shampoo. Because <laughs> 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 you, know, you actually look at this stuff and think, wow, I'd like some of that. <laughs> but I can't, I'm going to use for it, I'm going to hair. <laughs> <laughs> but just the, <laughs> it's, just the idea of it is attractive. You know, you have all these wonderful natural ingredients and you think maybe you put it in some tea or whatever. <laughs> so when you're getting this kind of messages of uh, all the time it's not something just you know bills soap that gets your hair clean it's a kind of got some fabulous name all these exotic ingredients in it so one kind of gets picky i don't just kind of bills soap to wash my body with i want luxona bright sea fresh you know And I only get a fraction of this stuff, so you know I'm amazed that you can do this at all. Because <laughs> it is not, uh, I think, one wants to recognise a lot of this stuff is no longer, uh, uh, you know, the only. It's no longer something you do. It's something. The only thing you've done is actually put your mind onto it. You know, focus your eyes on it, uh, believe in it, allow it to come in. 
But even that is a kind of uh, an action. You've got to be conscious of the effects of that. So, you know, screening, care, because things leave impressions in the heart. And uh, this, is, this is where we're going to live. What do you want to put in there? But then, actually, clearing, you want the feeling of the sense of joy arises. It's, it's a natural thing. It's kind of almost like the cleanness, the freshness, the immediacy. You don't have to cram some joy in. You don't have to get joy. You don't have to struggle for some joy. You know, strain and work to get the joy going. <laughs> it's it's the, uh, just the sense of having the possibility to be immediate and fresh and open and trust it. You know, that's naturally... The, Joy arises. It's a natural thing. And when one experiences joy, the hindrances fall back because they have got no claim on you. And so joy is the path to meditation, to to samadhi. Mm. In our situation here, you know, we have a very good possibility for that. Just watch out for the shampoo, that's all. And it's something where you, you know, you've made a conscious decision, you decided it, you wished for this, okay, so, and things are set up, it's trustworthy, it's safe, it's uh, friendly, it's benevolent. So take all that in, really take all that in, and uh, abide in that kind of contact. Uh, then the external world yeah, can be a source of inspiration and movement to joy for us all. This is, I think, what the meaning of Sangha is. If you, even when you leave here, just really re- remember, you know, that you 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 were you've been here, you were here, and you know you have all these other people you've touched with, you've been with, even if it's in silence. That's Sangha. That's the source of joy. Anyone? This talk was given by Ajahn Susido at Insight Meditation Society on April 28, 2005. It is an offering of the